and welcome to the weekly summaries of the Good Shepherd Bible Study. I am your host, Miller Ansel, the church planning intern. We are a Bible study and longing to be a church plant of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Southwest Houston. So if you're in Southwest Houston, we meet in Stafford at 3211 South Main Street in a church building called Grace Center. We'd love to have you out. Also, please check out our website at gsbiblestudy.org, as well as like us on Facebook at Southwest Houston Reformed. This is week 10 in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are looking over the Lord's Prayer, and we're doing it rather quickly, but keeping with our schedule, here we go. Um, Prayer, the way we view God affects how we live, it affects how we pray. We've seen that with the Pharisees, the Pharisees uh, were ignorant of God, and so they sought man's praise by using their prayers. We saw the Gentiles had a wrong view of God as they tried to recite words over and over and over in order to get uh, their God to listen to them. But that's not how we are to pray. Instead, our Lord Jesus Christ gives us this model prayer here of how we ought to pray. And so it begins with the preface, uh, our Father in heaven, or our Father who art in heaven. Uh, One, we see that Christians are to pray together. We pray our Father. In other words, uh, Jesus expects us to pray with one another. Prayer is a great thing for our private lives, and we ought to have that aspect to our uh, spiritual life. Uh, But we also need to get together with others and pray to our Father who is in heaven. We also note that it's our Father. It's not to um, uh, the Virgin full of grace. It's not to saints. It's not to angels. We are praying to God. Christ teaches us that we pray to the Father and not to others. Uh, And so we also notice we get to address this great God who has created all things, who is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. We get to call him Father. And not just a Father, but we get to call him uh, the best Father uh, around. It's uh, quite a great honor that we can come before God uh, as his children through adoption. In fact, we are often ungrateful and rebellious children, and still we get to pray, Our Father, who is in heaven. Uh, And who is in heaven? Well, isn't God everywhere? Yes, of course, God is everywhere. So why do we pray to our Father who's in heaven? It's because that is where his throne is. Uh, He is heavenly, we are earthly, and we are showing that great creator-creature distinction. There's a vast gulf between us and God, and so we pray to the God who is in heaven, where his throne is. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer uh, comes next. It's, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. We see that the Lord's Prayer is actually... um, arranged so that the first three petitions are dealing with our adoration of God, uh, giving him glory, whereas the last three are dealing with our own daily needs. And so in this first one, we give God the glory for his holy name. 
This is really a third commandment issue, to not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, and we do that by honoring God, giving him uh, that uh, honor that he deserves, thinking and speaking the best of him, thinking the highest of him. So this means that uh, do we come to God and complain about how upset we are with him, how angry we are that he has done something? Uh, no, that sounds like dishonor. Uh, rather, holy is your name, Lord, hallowed be your name. Uh, are we adding holiness to God's name, or are we making it holy by doing this? Uh, of course not. We can't add any more holiness to God, especially by our own works. Uh, but it does remind us of who God is and just how separate we are from him, that if we have any holiness within ourselves, it's because God gives it to us, whereas God's holiness is intrinsic to just who he is. The second petition, Thy Kingdom Come, deals with two parts. First is subduing the enemies of the kingdom. Uh, we see that as Christ had uh, power over the demons. Of course, he has power over Satan. Luther would say that God has Satan on a leash. So the enemies of the kingdom are being subdued. And we also see that your kingdom come means that we are to conform to kingdom rules, which is what we've been saying the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about uh, living life in the kingdom. It's about counter Christian counterculturalism. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we're asking that we might conform to kingdom rules and live as kingdom citizens. The third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, living in this kingdom, uh, conforming to kingdom rules, means that we do the Lord's will on earth as it is done in heaven. So we bow to God's will that it may be done. Uh, how do we know God's will? Well, we seek it in the scriptures. The scriptures are sufficient for our faith and our life. And if we want to know God's will for us, uh, crack open your Bible and you'll read, this is God's will for your life. It is God speaking to you. So that's how we uh, pray the third petition and we long for that will to be done on earth. And then the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. This is where we move into um, our own needs that we pray for. And again, note, it's the us. It's uh, several people praying together. Now, this petition for daily bread probably doesn't strike us so much in the West, but uh, we forget that God is the one providing for us, right? If on Monday uh, somebody makes a shopping list, you plan out the week's meals, uh, you're not thinking uh, give us this day our daily bread when your daily bread for the next six days is in the fridge. Uh, but we cannot forget that it is God who provides everything for our lives. We can also note that bread uh, is not a delicacy. When we pray for our daily bread, we're asking for basic sustenance. We're not praying for lobster tails and filet mignon uh, and so on. But we're praying that our basic needs would be met. Uh, we also pray for our bread, which is teaching us honest labor. It's the means God uses that we acquire bread. We also ask for our daily bread, teaching us to not worry about tomorrow's bread. And we'll get into that more next week with anxiety and worry. Uh, but we ask for daily bread to teach us not to worry about tomorrow. The fifth petition, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, First, we do not hide our guilt from the Lord. We ask for forgiveness. 
Typically, we like to hide our guilt from others, but we do not do so before the great God who sees all and knows all. And we also read that we are forgiven as we forgive others. This is verses 14 and 15 at the end of our section. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we note that we cannot ask for forgiveness of our debts if we are unwilling to forgive others. Well, are we forgiven because we forgave others? Uh, what's the basis of our own forgiveness? Uh, and no, the answer is we actually forgive others because we've been forgiven a great deal. And when we understand uh, just how merciful God has been to us, we will be merciful to others. In fact, the only reason we often don't forgive others is because we've exaggerated their offenses and we've minimized our own. The sixth petition Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or we might say from the evil one, who is Satan. Uh, we're asking God to spare us from our flesh and to spare us from situations that tempt us to sin. Well, is this then teaching that um, God tempts us? And we say, absolutely not. God is not responsible for our sin. Although he has ordained all things, he is not the author of sin. And it's a great mystery how that works, but it is what the scriptures teach. Scriptures teach us that our flesh uh, tempts us to sin. The world teaches, tempts us to sin. And the evil one, the devil, tempts us to sin, but not God. James 1, 13 and 14 is very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer is, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I don't know that we can do much better than the Westminster Shorter Catechism on this. That's uh, the very last question in the entire catechism. Uh, what does this conclusion teach us? And it teaches us that... We are to take encouragement in prayer from God only, and in our prayers to praise Him, ascribing kingdom, power, and glory to Him. And in testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say amen. Uh, we say amen because what we have prayed is true. Uh, it is a right testimony, and we know God hears our prayers. So then what do we say in conclusion? Uh, one, this prayer... It's binding in form, but not in content. Jesus is not telling us, always pray this prayer and never pray another prayer. Rather, the content of the prayer is what is to be repeated. Uh, and we can repeat this prayer itself, or we can use our own words. Uh, but this is the model prayer for the believer. We note that we ought not to pray this prayer as a vain repetition, uh, as some religious folks do over and over and over again, thinking they'll be heard for their many words. But instead, we pray it with sincerity. We can note that the error of the Pharisees in this chapter was their selfishness. Uh, they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. They were focused on themselves and those around them. But we must note that the one who truly prays the Lord's Prayer is focused on God. 
So thank you for joining us this week. Please come back next week as we study anxiety, how Jesus diagnoses um, worry and anxiousness and the cure for that anxiety.